Father, we commit this time and this day to you. Father, with this topic of life in the womb, your word is not silent. And the action that we should be tending to should not be stagnant. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to not be hearers of the word only, but doers. And that this church might have a testimony in Licking County, in Ohio, and perhaps even around the world that no matter how un unpopular it can become in this culture, that we stand upon the authority of God's word and what it says about the very vulnerable life that's in the womb, the life that has been preyed upon throughout the story of redemption, throughout the entirety of the Bible, the little ones that have been sought to be destroyed, that we are the champions of those that have no voice. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody says together. Just a little bit of a disclaimer today for you parents with your kids with you today. Uh, I, I don't intend to be overly grotesque or anything of the sort, but just a disclaimer, I, I do plan to communicate with things of life and death plainly as I feel is is necessary for such a topic as today lends itself to. I would also give the disclaimer for all of the hearers today, be it in person or online, that some of the statements I'm going to be making today perhaps you might find shocking. And if you do, I'm just going to encourage you to take at least a week to filter them through the scriptures before you just simply remained shocked at some of the things that I do intend, Lord willing, to say, my assignment as a pastor is to make God's word known and to lead the church in adhering to it. And in any area that we might be off base in our thinking or in our actions, it's my job to show what the word of God says about it and to show how the application in our lives might bring us in proper alignment with the word of God. Uh, this responsibility was communicated clearly to me when I was first hired as the pastor of New Covenant Community Church, and I can stand with a clear conscience to tell you that I've always been faithful to that end and continue to be and intend to always be faithful for as long as God has me as the pastor of New Covenant Community Church. It's for that reason that I have no fancy title today. The title of this sermon is simply going to be Aligning with God on the Issue of Abortion. And the goal is simply to bring whatever might be out of alignment for us, whatever is out of alignment in our, in our thinking or in our behavior, and to bring it back into alignment with the Word of God and to give practical advice, practical application of how we live out a life that is in alignment with God's Word with respect to the issue of abortion. So let's start with two central truths, shall we? Firstly, we understand from God's word that from the moment of conception, a person exists in the womb. And there is certainly no lack of scriptural evidence to see that this is the case. It says in Psalm 22 verse 9, it says, But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts and cast me upon, cast me upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. In Psalm 139, it teaches us that God with his own hands skillfully crafts together life in the womb. And that, that God's thoughts to 
towards that life that he knits together by his own power, those thoughts are both many and precious to him. It's in Jeremiah 1 verse 5 where it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God says to the prophet. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. The prophet Jeremiah was ordained from the time of being inside the womb by God to be a prophet to the nations. And we see this affirmed clearly in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1. When John the Baptist, who is the greatest prophet ever, hears the voice of his Lord's mother and he leaps inside of his mother's womb certainly also ordained to be a prophet even from his mother's womb science testifies clearly to all of these biblical truths undeniably the case from the very instant of conception as we've already seen in the video that we started with all the DNA is present that determines all of the attributes of a person they're all there they're all present you test that union of the sperm and egg and you have undeniably the case, a human, human flesh that is indeed alive. And that person from the moment of conception needs the same thing that any of the young children in the church need. They need time, they need nourishment, and they need the proper environment to become a fully functioning adult as any of us are today. It is undeniably the case that from the moment of conception, a person exists in the womb. A second fundamental truth that we see from God's word is that because of God's particular, particular involvement in human life, it has great value. I'll give you three subpoints underneath this one that I don't have on the screen, but three subpoints for your understanding. Firstly, underneath this heading of God's particular involvement in, with regards to human life giving a great value, we understand that God created it. He is the creator of life. All of the verses we looked at already prove this to be so undeniably the case. Secondly, as a subpoint underneath this heading, we understand that he sustains it. He determines life's time and therefore end. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 6, it says, The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. In other words, it is up to God, sovereign God of heaven, to decide when life starts and when it ends. And not only does he determine its beginning and its end, he is also the reason for which it consists and is able to sustain in the first place. In Colossians 1, verse 17, it says, And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. If it wasn't for God, you would not have consisting in human life. Not only does God create life, he's the creator of it, he sustains it, and he determines its time. Thirdly, as a subpoint underneath this heading of this second understanding we have from the Bible, and this is the real linchpin, I would say, this is the real kicker with respect to human life. Because the first two subpoints we've looked at of God creating life and him determining its beginning and end and sustaining it in its time, those things could also be said of animals. But this third one can most definitely not be said of animals, and that is that he places his image on it, it being human life. Genesis 1, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. This is why humans exist in an entirely different category 
than all other living things. Because of God's particular involvement with human life, it has great value. Now, these two truths that you see on the screen behind me, I would like to suggest to us that most pro-life Christians in America either don't believe are disobedient to or have become dull to the tr two truths that you see on the screen behind me. And perhaps it's even the case that for many of us, we have become disobediently dull to these two realities. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, how in the world could that be so? Let me give you two examples that I think will illustrate the point well. I want you to picture for just a moment that you are somewhere in some space of a place that you typically go. And I want you to imagine witnessing a person murdering a two-year-old. I want you to put yourself mentally there in that picture. I want you to consider what your heart would think. I want you to consider what your emotions would feel if you witnessed this in person. I want you to consider what I already know all of our response would be, which would be to take our phone out of our pocket and to dial 911 as fast as possible because we just witnessed a murder killing an innocent two-year-old. Now, I want you to think about the way that you would feel when you hear news of a woman aborting a baby or a man who consents to a baby being aborted. I don't think that our hearts would be moved to such a degree. I don't think that we would have quite the emotional response. In fact, many times when these kinds of things take place, as they often do, the woman is commonly seen as the victim. I think that just perhaps from this first example, we see the difference that we know our response would be as evidence to show us how dull we have become to these two truths, or maybe just perhaps that we don't believe them. Second example that hopefully will shed some light on this. A hypothetical illustration, a hypothetical story. A woman is raped by a man, and the woman aborts the baby. In the American pro-life way of seeing this, this story that involves three people, we see it involving one guilty criminal and two that are commonly seen as innocent victims. I would like to suggest to you, I'd like to suggest to New Covenant Community Church as we seek to be biblical and consistent and corrected and to come into alignment with what God says with respect to the issue of abortion, I would like to suggest that the biblical view of this hypothetical situation of these three people that there are two guilty criminals. One of them is a rapist, one of them is a murderer who did have something unspeakably bad happen to them, and that there is one innocent victim. I'd like to suggest that there is a massive, massive hole in the thinking of the pro-life movement, particularly in America. There's a hole that's non-consistent with scripture. There's a thinking in the movement of the pro-life agenda that is inconsistent with how our hearts are moved by these things or a lack thereof of our hearts being moved. I'd like to say that to be in alignment with God on the issue of abortion, our thinking needs to change. We need to see life in the womb as no less valuable than life as outside the womb.
that our actions ought to reveal what is truly inside of us as it does, but that there ought to be an equal reaction between life outside the womb being ended and life inside the womb being ended. And to have the clear understanding that those who take life outside the inside the womb are no less guilty of a criminal than those who take life outside the womb. And the current U.S. law, those that are convicted of third-degree murder, it says, quote, whoever is guilty of murder, or excuse me, in the first degree, shall be punished by death or by imprisonment for life. And I just want you to imagine that in that first example we gave of you witnessing a murder in cold blood, a two-year-old, if you were to serve on the jury of that person, you would be in full agreement with saying that the person should be, to the full extent of the law, murder in the first degree. You saw it. You witnessed it. If, they, if you were to be brought to the stand for witness and testimony, you would, you would want justice to be acted upon. You would want the law that understands that life, at least in our current law system, that understands that life outside the womb of us is of something valuable. You, you would want the book to be thrown at them. You would want justice to be served. You would want them to be punished for this innocent life that they have taken. And I would just like to suggest, as extreme as it might be, that for us to be biblically consistent, we ought to desire the same for those who are for, complicit to, go along with life being ended inside the womb. And that might come as a shock to you, but we must be biblically consistent. If we're going to align with Scripture and believe what God says, if we're going to come into alignment, then our heart's reaction ought to represent a true belief that those that are for and go along with abortion, they're not for women's rights. No, they're for murder in the first degree. And, and, and if our laws were consistent with what is true, they would be punished in the same way that the person who murders a two-year-old would be. Uh, perhaps you don't know this, but it is indeed the case that other countries in years past that have had what I would say laws that much more closely resemble a biblical consistency make it such that at least in some countries in years past, it's been the case that a person, if they are along for abortion, if they have one, they can go to year, jail for years because it's seen that life, even inside the womb, is of value. And, and as best I can tell, it is probably, I would say, the big hole, the big faulty thinking in the pro-life movement of America that does not see the two as the same. We have this understanding of one person's a victim because you kill your baby inside the womb, but the other person is a guilty criminal, that this this inconsistency in our thinking, this out of balance in scripture that the pro-life movement, yes, even in America has, to me it's pretty clear that those, that faulty thinking has eroded many of the countries that just as recently as 2019 that had very strict laws to say you can't kill your baby, you can't, you can't end life in the womb, that it's been perhaps this faulty thinking in America that has caused some of those good laws that represent what is true in the Word of God has caused some of those laws to erode. And now some of those cultures have 
places in the law where it's permissible to end life inside of the womb. And at this point, I think it would be vitally important for me to give a reminder because if the statistics are accurate, which I believe to some degree they are, even if they're vastly off, that we know commonly it says that between one in five or between one in six women between the ages of 15 and 44 have had an abortion. That I would say for us to be scripturally consistent, we would have to say are guilty criminals to the first degree. I just need to give you a reminder because that would represent a lot of women here and not even to mention the many men who have gone along with it or perhaps even encouraged it as a Christian. And I'm speaking specifically to the Christians that need this gospel reminder, that need to be reminded of their gospel standing in Christ. You need to understand how you've been forgiven. You need to understand some workings of the gospel that you might be able to walk in the freedom that you ought to have. Yes, even as somebody that was formerly guilty. Here's what has taken place. If you have come to Christ, Christians, I'm speaking to you. If you have come to Christ, you've given him your life. You have received by faith this free gift of grace. You've understood that there's nothing good in you. And you trust completely in his goodness to cover you and in his grace and in his mercy. Here is what has happened to you, Christian. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's there, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you have committed such a terrible sin, and again, any sin can remove you from the presence of God and will remove you from the presence of God. If you're a Christian, you have been made new. You used to be spiritually dead. That person no longer lives. You operate now in an absolutely new identity that you are known by heaven in. You say, Pastor Ben, well, how does that so? How does it happen that a person can then have a new, a completely new identity placed upon them and for their old identity to, identity to not be the thing by which heaven knows them? The answer comes to us very plainly in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and also in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, where it explains to us how it is that we have this new identity. It says in Corinthians, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How is it that your identity is new and changed and different and the old person that you were, dead in your sins, is now gone and done away with? Is because the person that you were, the sin that you committed, was placed upon Christ. Your identity as a sinner, your identity as a rebellion against God, that was all placed upon Christ. It was placed upon his shoulders, upon the cross. He paid the debt. He paid the fine. So that... He could then place upon you his own righteousness. This is now your identity. This is now who you are in Christ. You're known by heaven. You're known in heaven not by your sins, but by the perfect, holy righteousness of the Son who paid death's penalty for you. This is how your identity is changed. It says in Philippians, as not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. It spells it out perfectly clear that our identity is now changed because we're wearing the righteousness of Christ. We've placed our faith in God and therefore he has imputed to us. He has given us his own righteousness. Why? Because he wore our own sinfulness. 
And then in Romans 8 and John chapter 8 gives us the description of what it's like to remain in and live inside of this new gospel identity, this new Jesus righteousness identity that he has given us. It says in Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you been guilty of lying? Are you guilty of murder in the first degree, as is the case for probably one in five women in this room today? Are you guilty of such a thing? Know that if you have come to Christ, if you've become a Christian, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It says in John 8, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free. Finish it for me. Indeed. Free indeed. Let, let, that word, let those words, free indeed, sink into your heart. Let, let those who have been carrying weight of guilt, let them carry it no longer. Let, let the words free indeed sink into your heart. Let, 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 let your true identity in Christ, assuming if you are a Christian, if you've come to Christ repentantly, if you are a Christian, let your identity of Christ's righteousness that cover you, let it give you peace. Let, let it give you freedom. Live in the truth and the reality of what truly has taken place in your identity being changed. And God no longer sees you by your sin, but he sees you by Christ's righteousness that completely covers you. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you are guilty of the sin of abortion or any other, the judgment of God abides on you. And if you die in your sin, you will be cast out from the presence of God. And you will not be going to heaven. You will go to a place by your own choosing, by your, by your rebellion against God. You being the one responsible for having rejected Christ. It is not as if a finger can be pointed at God and said, God, you have been an evildoer in sending me to this place. It is simultaneously the truth that God is sovereign over all these things. And yet the person is responsible. It will be by your rebellion. It will be by your rejecting of Christ that will cast you away. Let that not be the case for you this morning. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, receive him this morning by faith. Trust in his sacrifice, understanding that there is a death and a wickedness inside of you that is continually wicked and that you must have Christ's mercy, that you must have his grace, that you desperately need his righteousness. And that is the offer for every person who does not know Christ today. That you repent even now. That you in the quietness of your heart would say, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of the sin that I have committed. But church, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here as a people who I would pray? What do we do now in living a life that is in alignment with God's understanding of this issue of abortion? I'd like to give you three pieces of application for us that I would say would be very plain, very simple, but very, very important for you and I to live out. Number one would be this for application. Be watchful of ideologies that depart from biblical truth. We've already seen a bit of an exercise in that. We've seen how even in the pro-life movement in America, there's a big 
discrepancy of what's right and in accordance with God's word. We've seen how even perhaps some of our hearts, perhaps even like this preacher today, how our hearts are prone to become dull to the things that we see. And just because we don't see a person standing upright and walking around on the earth, it doesn't mean that their life in the womb is any less valuable. It's not. According to God's word, it's, they're both of equal value, whether they're in or outside the womb. Our hearts, our intentions, our actions, our belief ought to be the same in alignment with the word of God. If you believe that, then say amen. We are to be watchful of this ideology and any other that departs from biblical truth. Don't think that just because there is a term or phrase, a banner underneath which people operate, being that a pro-life, that it's always accurate and correct. No, we need to make sure that we're seeing God's design for this and to make sure that even something small would not be something that the devil would then use for a way for other countries, a rationale for other countries to become more slack in this whole issue of abortion and to begin to see life in the womb as less valuable. It's not right. We need to see this as God sees it. Can you imagine God ordaining prophets before they're even born while they're still in the womb, the life that people say it's my right to be able to end. Listen, it's not a woman's right to be able to end life. It's no one's right to be able to be a murderer. It is no one's right. It is not health care. It is not women's health care when you're killing women inside the womb. It is not women's health care and it is not anyone's right to become a murderer. That is rebellion against God. It is rebellion against the life upon which God has placed his image, giving human life incredible value like you and I cannot even begin to imagine. It's no one's right to do such a thing. Church, be watchful of ideologies that depart from biblical truth. And you've heard me say it as I've say it commonly. Engage on the political spectrum on this because it is so common in our day that, that particularly with pastors, but Christians in general, bow to the God of politics, of the God of political correctness, and don't say anything. They don't engage on this issue. I'm telling you, New Covenant Community Church, engage in this issue. Uh, if you see someone that claims to be a Christian and they say that they support politically those that are for ending this life in the womb, this life that we understand in alignment with God's word that he tells us is precious him, rebuke them. Rebuke them sharply. Maybe it would be good for people to feel an incredible amount of shame for doing such a shameful behavior. Maybe it would be good for those that are complicit to murder to feel shame for being complicit to murder. If you come across Christians that claim to be Christians and yet they are complicit to such a thing on a political spe spectrum, rebuke them sharply and immediately. Pastor Ben, that's going to be uncomfortable. I don't care. What a, you know how the Bible describes ambassadors of Christ? Those who knew Christ personally, who sat at his feet and listened to him teach as the Holy Spirit inspired them. You know how they referenced themselves? Slaves and bondservants. Last time I checked, slaves and bondservants don't have the right to say that something makes them uncomfortable, so therefore they will not partake. Engage on the political spectrum on this. Don't be silent. Put it down big, plain, and straight. No Christian should be attending a church that does not take a bold, clear, unapologetic stance for life and against Satan's ministry of death, which is that of abortion. Let me say that again, just in case anybody missed it. Put it down big, plain, and straight. No Christian 
should be attending a church that does not take a bold, clear, unapologetic stance for life and against Satan's ministry of death, which is abort abortion. No Christian has any business going to such a church. Yes, your family dinners are going to get a little awkward when you have that relative that you haven't seen in a while. Rebuke them sharply. How, how shamed they should feel for so blaspheming the, the God himself and the life bearers that God has placed his image on there, bearing the life that he stitched together with his own hands and his very own image. How ashamed somebody ought to be. You ought to be able to look at that family members that votes Democrat and yet they say they're Christian and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. How dare you? How dare a child of God, somebody that would also blaspheme the name of Christ by taking the name Christian upon yourself and also saying that you would support, even though you say you don't like it, but you don't like it enough not to do it, to vote in this kind of way. Shameful, embarrassing. Awful that you would do such a thing. What, what a blaspheming thing to the name of God that you would do such a thing. You should be ashamed of yourself. Those are the kinds of words, church, that you should use in a proper rebuke. Also with the understanding of saying God will forgive you if you repent. Just perhaps, dear family member, that you have, you have played the hypocrite. Just perhaps that you have bowed to this God of political correctness. Perhaps it's the case that your pastor is a coward for not saying what is true and right. And having coming into biblical alignment, bringing the people's hearts and minds into alignment with what God says about life in the womb. Be watchful, church, of ideologies that depart from biblical truth. And secondly, I would say live in gospel freedom and call others to do the same. We as Christians do not ride on a high horse. We're the last ones to do such. But we are people of truth. We're people who understand with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and the Word of God in front of us, that Holy Spirit shining a light onto all truth. We're a people who understands truth. And we ought to walk in gospel light. We ought to encourage others to do so. We ought to be the people not to ride on a high horse, beckon people to repentance, beckon them to walk in the light. I love how the Scripture says when He calls us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Do you know how many people, dear church, listen to me, how many deceived people there are that go to church every week that are walking in utter darkness? And when you find somebody that their conscience would allow them to support politically someone or to go to a church that does not take a biblical stance in these things, do you know how much evidence that is that they're walking in darkness the most hateful thing you could do to that person is do what many of us do commonly, which is nothing. The most loving, merciful thing you could do is to rebuke them sharply with the love of Christ to say, turn and repent and God will forgive you. Come into alignment unto the real king. Come into alignment not to the God of political correctness, but to the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns supreme over that of political correctness to Jesus Christ himself. Who do you obey, church? Who do you obey, family member, that will see over the holidays? Do, do we obey political correctness or do we obey the God of heaven whose word says that life is in the womb and that it is no less valuable because it's still in the womb? I don't know about you, but I say we obey God. I say we obey his word. I say we come into alignment in our thinking and our actions and, and, and we be changed by these things. And we say, why? And we ask ourselves the true legitimate question. Why, why is my heart so much more prone not to get riled up when I think about 
a woman killing her baby, but if I saw it physically, then I'd be calling 911 in a hysterical mess. Why is my heart? Maybe just because we have been duped. Maybe just because the devil understands something about the frog in the pot of boiling water that maybe our hearts have become. So there's no amount of me up here pointing a finger at any people or person. It's about us, church, having coming into alignment with God's perspective on this issue of abortion. Thirdly, I would say this morning is an application. Be ready to support life. Be ready to give to support life. Pastor, give what? Anything that's necessary. Anything that's necessary, be it your money or your time or yourself. As I was studying all this this week, I remembered back a number of years ago when I was still a youth pastor and there was a young man who was dating this girl in the youth ministry and she turns up pregnant. And it was a very odd situation. And the reason I say it was an odd situation is because their first reaction was to go through with an abortion. But there was this hesitancy that they had. And the hesitancy they had was the opportunity for Abby and I to adopt this child. Can I just tell you, I'm not standing up here pointing to myself. I'm just saying this is a good example for us to follow. Abby and I were ready to do whatever it took. I was ready to quit my job as a youth pastor and go do something else that I could actually make enough money to support a family. I was ready. I was, we were ready to up and move. We were going to do whatever it took. I don't care what it took. If that family said, yes, you could do this, but to do that, you're going to need to move out of the country to be able to save that life. Church, we would have done it. We would have done it. Be ready to give what, pastor? Anything that's necessary. You keep your eyes open. Should there be a young woman in your family that, that falls into sin or something terrible happens and now she's pregnant, you be ready to give whatever is necessary. You be ready to sign your name on a blank check and slide it across the table. You be ready to sacrifice whatever is necessary to protect this life. What better work could there be? What better work could there be for us to see clearly from the scriptures that God has knit together life in the womb and that it's just as valuable as life of all of us standing up here walking around today and to say that, that we protected the image bearers of God. That in a culture, even in the pro-life movement in America that has this massive blind spot to their thinking and it, that, 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 that we, would, we would sacrifice what was ever necessary such that our actions, our belief, and our thinking came in alignment with the word of God. What a great work to be able to do. And that's the exact opportunity that you and I have this morning. To be able to give in support of Heartbeat's work. Listen, church. If there was help that our church could offer to one of our own or even to somebody that our church was associated with, we'd be ready to pour out anything to see that that person, that that baby was protected and supported and encouraged. Our church would be absolutely ready to do that. But I believe that just perhaps there's people walking the streets of Newark and the surrounding counties that just might not be able to come into this church. They might not. What an awesome opportunity that there's people on the front lines that are like a big net that catch all of those people. And you and I as a church have an opportunity this morning, now third year in a row, a great opportunity, a thing that we understand. It's not anything we brag about, but it's something that we say, what, a, what an opportunity that God would give us. What, what a wonderful thing that God would give us and this opportunity to carve out an entire day to make sure that we're focused, to make sure we've come into alignment and to be able to give freely of our money, which that's what we're talking about this morning with the thing that we'll be able to help. But it may be beyond money. 
Some of you, I wonder, have a very, very strong giving muscle with your money. And maybe, just maybe, this could be the year that God calls you with respect to this issue to pour out yourself in some kind of very, very substantial way. Maybe for some of you, God has matured you and the muscle of your self-giving is very, very strong and you'd give the shirt off your own back and you'd do anything for somebody, but maybe your financial giving muscle isn't very strong. What a good morning for you to exercise it. What I'm saying is let this church be in alignment with God with respect to the issue of abortion and let our actions prove what the true and right belief is. Would you stand with me and worshipers as you come? Now is our time to give and I'm just simply going to leave these up here. I know some of you, as, as is the case for many, perhaps you've already given. Uh, perhaps you've given online, perhaps the way that you give, but for those that would prefer to give in person, this would be an opportunity for us, or for those with the little connect card thing we did earlier, you can place them in the plates as well. But I'm praying, church, I'm praying that we come in alignment with what God has already said. I'm praying that our actions prove that true conviction in our service, in our sacrifice, and in our money. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If somebody steals my identity next week, I want that identity thief to be able to say, the Swedman family cares about life in the womb. Pray with me. Father in heaven, for this time of offering as we worship and as we sing and as we give, Father, let it be something that's pleasing to you, Father. Father, let, I pray that what you see in our hearts right now we cannot see our hearts, but you do. You see their very most intrinsic intent. And what I pray that you see all over this church right now, Lord, are people's hearts coming into alignment with yours. Father, for those that are guilty of this heinous crime or any other crime before you, Father, teach us how to walk in gospel freedom. That more than what we feel in our emotions, that the truth of your word would out overpower it and would be the reality in which we live our lives. And Father, for those that don't know you and press upon their hearts right now, I pray that there is freedom found at the cross. That there is a new identity that awaits them. That if they place their faith in the sinless Savior, then they too could be seen by heaven as sinless. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church says, as we play and sing and worship, please use these two aisles to come down. Use the outside to go back to your chair. Now is our time to give, church.